0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pears Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Back in the 1800s, drinks' names were a lot simpler and often just referenced the cocktail's main ingredient. Then along came the Japanese cocktail, one of the earliest known mixed drinks to buck that trend. If you don't know what's in a Japanese cocktail... I'd wager you could take a thousand swings and still not hit. Because nothing about this drink is inherently Japanese, beyond some of the patrons who reportedly first enjoyed it while frequenting the hotel bar tended by our old pal Jerry Thomas. Joining us today to shed some light on this mysterious and all but forgotten classic is the three-star Michelin man himself, It's Will Patton. Based in DC, Will is the beverage director of the restaurants Bresca and Jaunt, And he joined us in the studio during a recent visit to New York, where he was hosting a pop-up with our good friend John Adler at Shinji's. Get ready for a cheeky little hack regarding lemon peels and stirring. Please don't mention the word regal. And oh, about that recipe, brandy, orgeat and bitters. It's the Japanese cocktail listener, and it's coming your way right now on the Cocktail College podcast. Running off four hours of sleep here in the studio, or at least my guest is today, straight off the Amtrak, or actually not quite, but heading into town from our nation's capital, Will Patton. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Tim, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you.
1: Uh, many, many hours. All <laughs> of,
0: maybe a good 16. 16 hours. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're in town. We couldn't pass up on this opportunity, but you're in town to work with our, uh, you know, wonderful friend of the show there, John Adler, over at Shinji's doing a pop up there at the moment. I know that went well because I was lucky <laughs> enough to join you for it, but incredible experience. Um, so yeah, enjoying your time in New York. I am
1: loving it. This is uh, this is the last of my responsibilities, and then I get the night off, and then I got to go back to work tomorrow. So.
0: We'll try and keep this fun. I hope the feeling is not that it's a responsibility, but I can't wait to get into this one, you know? The Japanese cocktail.
1: Do I look like this is a responsibility to me?
0: Uh, you know, no, you're looking good. You're looking, you're looking loose here in the studio in a good way, in the best possible way. Uh, actually,
1: the, the bags under the eyes are really <laughs> helping me out.
0: <laughs> it might have been that spherification you were doing at 1am, the, 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 what was the Saturday night that you were doing?
1: Oh, yes. That was, uh, and I have to, uh, thank my friends at, uh, Silver Lion for giving me the information on how to do that because I had never done it before. I would, and I can be overly ambitious, mm-hmm. um, in all things, actually. And so I was like, this is going to be a great idea. This is going to make the cocktail. I should do this. Mm-hmm. So we did service, and then I did that. And it, uh, I got to say, despite my chef's uh, disbelief, I was able to pull that off. I mean, nice. did it work? Did I, I like can it? confirm, yes. Yeah. So this was a little <laughs> riff you were doing on the grooney. Got it.
0: <laughs> yes. No, phenomenal stuff, and also really speaks to what I cover with John, or what we covered there with John, in sort of like technique-driven cocktails, and, and and almost like bar theater. I mean, it had the work, so folks, if you haven't already, check out that episode with John. He really is a wonderful mind in the space, and talent, and check out Shinji's, but Will, we're here today to talk about the Japanese cocktail. The
1: Japanese cocktail.
0: Which, spoiler alert, isn't Japanese at all, is it?
1: No, it's actually quintessentially American in Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, it has nothing to do with Japan whatsoever, uh, and it's mostly French ingredients. Mm -hmm. So I'll be completely honest. The history of the cocktail doesn't interest me all that much. It dates back to one of the earliest cocktails. It comes in a How to Mix Drinks by Jerry Thomas, uh, number 133 out of all of them. I did my research for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was this uh, Japanese delegation that came to America during the Miji Restoration. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. My uh, Japanese history is not super strong. But uh, I came to the drink because a couple years ago we did uh, at the restaurant, one of the restaurants I work at, Bresca, we did a brandy menu. So I did research on all these, like, classic brandy cocktails. And I came about the Japanese cocktail. Uh, And then the delegation before they came to New York uh stayed at the Willard Hotel in DC. So I did a cocktail, uh inspired by that. But uh essentially it's an old fashioned riff. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just like the recipe is very simple. It's just cognac, orjot, bitters, and then in the original recipe it says one to two uh lemon peels. Mm-hmm. Uh which I think uh is very important. It's actually like think what makes or breaks the cocktail. But wow. Um and the general idea of it and what like I very much love about it is I love brandy. I love cognac. Uh, and so it's a very cool way that can to like express that spirit while also being able to be very difficult to make. It's very easy to screw up this cocktail.
0: Um, That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So it, because of the different ingredients, like the orgeat, which uh, can be very sweet, like there's a or very inconsistent depending on how you're making the orgeat or how you're buying it. Uh, but really, what's also cool about it is like really normally when a bartender makes it. If I just went to a bar. Let's say we went to EMP, like a couple blocks from here, Uh, and then we're like, hey, we wanted a Japanese cocktail. They're going to reach for cognac because that's what it traditionally is going to be made with. But you don't have to make it with cognac. It just says brandy, and brandy as like a spirit category is so diverse that it allows you to express essentially a Japanese cocktail using Calvados, Uh, using a a lot of American brandies that you can use. You could do, uh, as we talked about last night, you could use Pisco. Yeah. Uh, And then- I mean, you would obviously have to alter the orjat. You'd want to change the bitters, but you could just make essentially like a white Japanese cocktail, which actually when I say that out loud is probably not, is a little bit of a problematic name for it, but...
0: Yeah, um, that one, yeah. But we, we get, we get right. the sentiment. We get where you're coming from with that one. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Uh, no, super interesting. I think some of the other things too that hearing you speak about that that immediately come to my mind, like A, beyond the sidecar and... Some other drinks that get made differently these days and moving outside of New Orleans, like we really don't see that many Cognac classics or as many as you would expect. I
1: mean, I think that rye just kind of bodied, like literally if you drink a Cognac and a rye, rye just has more body to it and it really pushed them out, which is great because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had, if you ever made a Manhattan with uh, Cognac, but like the vermouth is going to kind of take over that cocktail where you really- When you have like a Manhattan with Mm -hmm. rye, that's like the backbone. That's the spice. That's like the kick that you really makes that cocktail work. So uh, even with like a Sazerac, if you make a brandy Sazerac and then you make a Sazerac with like cognac and rye, the cognac rye one, in my opinion, is going to be better. It's going to be more complex because the rye gives it that like structure and that backbone. And then going back to why I think the Japanese cocktail is so interesting, because cognac as like a—is delicious. All mainline cognac. I'm probably going to do that this evening, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> see me at EMP. Uh, that might actually break the bank. But anyway, but like it's this you have to be very delicate with it. Uh, and then going to the technique, like I mentioned the uh, the one and two lemon peels. So I, I did this experiment last night. I told you I went to my, uh, my friend owns a bar here. And uh, we, we did the collab at uh, Shinji's and we went to uh, the uh, Subjects, I think is the name of his bar. I hope I got that right, because otherwise, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> um, and we uh, we made two Japanese cocktails. This traditional build, uh, two ounces of cognac, half an ounce of orgeat, and then uh, bitters. They used Ango. Um, I would normally would go for something a little more baking spicy, uh, like the Bitter Truth Aromatic, or even Fee's Aromatic. They mm-hmm. have like more of the cinnamon notes that I think goes very well with like the nuttiness, and then, then the dried fruit of the cognac and we could talk about the different types of brandy or, like, cognacs that I would like sure, to Sure, we'll get into that
0: in a bit. Oh, amazing.
1: All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but, so the, uh, the key to the recipe, in my humble opinion, is that you put the uh, lemon peels in while you're stirring, and that's going to add a little bit of, like, lemon oil, like that citrus note that's going to really make it pop, because otherwise this is a cocktail that can be kind of limp uh, with just, like, the cognac, depending on which cognac it is, and then... At most cognacs are like brandies are going to come at 80 proof. And that is, uh, for me, more of a difficult tool to work with. Like, you know, I kind of enjoy like a whiskey. I want it to be like at 90 or something. You really get like that body to it.
0: Yeah. And that really speaks to what you were saying earlier about using rye versus cognac. I don't think it's only that rye does have maybe more of an assertive profile, which it does, you know. In some, in some instances, you might think that it's kind of rough around the edges, but... The other thing, too, is that, like, when would you ever in your bar look for or reach for a 40% ABV rye for a cocktail? You'd just be like, no, this thing's going to, like, get lost. Yeah. Y- you want 45, you want 50. So, But almost every cognac I've come across, apart from the smaller producers, you know, the grower producers, they're all bottled at 40% ABV.
1: Yeah. I mean, Calvados as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, actually, the best Japanese cocktail I ever had— and uh, real cognac heads are gonna like hate that I did this. And it's like it's funny because we were talking about it last night about using like higher end spirits in cocktails. But uh, mm-hmm. Frappin made a uh, master seller's number one, and it was like a ninety some proof. Uh, and oh man, that was a fantastic um, because you had like the vanilla notes, that like more woody. Like it had that like structure. Again, going back to the orgeat, and I'm just jumping all over the place. But uh, too sweet is uh the problem with most orgeat So like if you are making this cocktail, I would not do that traditional half ounce. I would uh cut that back you to like a quarter. Spec. And then uh, if you're doing like store bought orjot, which again is gonna be normally sweeter than if you make it at your home or your bar or I don't know, wherever you particularly are, uh then like even like a bar spoon of it, just really letting the spirit kind of like shine through in the cocktail with that little bit of lemon to mm-hmm. pop. Oh, you can Hear this, that's good.
0: Yeah, it pops pops real nice in the (laughs) studio right here. Um, Something else that's interesting too, you know, when you start to tend towards that like bar spoon of things, I really in my mind start to see how, you know, you said this is basically like an old fashioned riff if I'm looking at the ingredients here on the paper and my, you know, my previous use for like- You know, you're not looking at them. <laughs> well, I have, you know, I have them written down, or if I just see them written right, here's the thing. You can Cognac, say
1: anything you wanted right now. This is great. Oh.
0: Cognac, orja, bitters. When I first see that, I'm like, wait, where's the citrus? Mm-hmm. Like, and you said about the peel and we'll get into that. But I'm like, okay, so this is a kind of shaken drink, right? Like, I don't think I've, come across many drinks where Orgeat is being used, and it's not shaken or it doesn't contain a citrus component. Maybe that's just my own inexperience, but I did find it interesting to see that in this kind of stirred spirit-forward drink.
1: I think it really depends again on the Orgeat. If you have the consistency of it, like if you have orjat, some of it, especially when you make it homemade, it's not going to integrate particularly well when you're stirring it. You need something that's going to like beat it up a little bit, really get uh, that like... Uh, air, get it, like, uh, fully integrated. I'm just saying the word integrated over and over again. Integrated. <laughs> um, but I would say, uh, so it depends on that, but, like, it's mostly technique. You like, make sure that, like, you're mixing those together. Uh, again, I know this, like, if you're a new bartender, like, the first thing they always teach you, or the first thing I teach my bartenders is, like, cheapest ingredient first. Japanese cocktail, put the cognac in first, then put the orgeat, because otherwise it might just sit on the bottom. Right, yeah. Uh, so, like, again, you have to, kind of, like, plan out. It goes against, like, the cardinal rules, but you're planning out how the best way to integrate it. And then again, like, it's store-bought or shot, jat normally has, like, the consistency of, like, a Demerara, so it's not going to be that much of an issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, big cubes, stir tight. You'll be good. Nice, nice. Let's get into the brandy thing here because... Love it. This, for me... You spoke about maybe Calvados, which is a spirit that I love and just actually polished off a favorite bottle of mine over the weekend. Uh, you know, what was it? Le Morton. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar. Yeah, I forget. Le Morton something. It's actually um, mainly apple, but there's a good amount of pear in there too, and it's just fantastic. I love it as like a digestif. Mm-hmm. But when we're introducing Orja into this cocktail, into this you know old-fashioned cocktail template, that nutty flavor profile, almond forward as well, like to me, yeah, that's going much better with apples or pears than it is grapes. I just think of like a classic French apple tart, right. right? Like that's the combo. That's the winning combo for me. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. What do you think the best version of this is, the best brandy is for this? If you were to rewrite history, would you go with, you know, cognac again, even though he just said brandy, or would you go down a different route?
1: Ooh, put me on the spot. I would stick with cognac. Uh, I mean, cognac is his just- Fucking delicious
0: mm-hmm. uh, and then
1: <laughs> if you treat this cocktail similar to an old-fashioned Where you're like I think they used to call it an old-fashioned like an improved whiskey cocktail uh, And so you're you're not making a cocktail you're almost improving cognac, and I know that's like again sacrilege But like you take something like Remy 1738 phenomenal cognac super accessible all of these like dark chocolate fruity flavors you're using the nuttiness of the orgeat to highlight it. You're using, like I said, like the baking spice of the bitters to highlight it. You're using the lemon to bring out a little bit more of that brightness. You're choosing these ingredients to accentuate what you already have, which is one of the reasons why like, I never feel bad about using extraordinarily high-end ingredients in a cocktail, because like, as long as you're treating those spirits with the respect that they deserve, then you're really creating an improved version. Now I know if you're a master distiller, you might be like, "I already fucking made the improved version. What are you doing?" <laughs> but, but this like, is
0: a, in the technical sense, yeah. not as an adjective, right? Like exactly, mm-hmm. you're
1: creating something new, but like improving, not improving. Yeah. Let me. I'm just saying, an integrated and improving. I, I went to school for English. I should have a better vocabulary.
0: Um, Once that studio door shuts, you leave ninety five percent of your vocabulary out there. So, oh no! I'm speaking I, on a on a day on a weekly basis. I can tell you this now. I just I'm just looking at the, the stairs, like, oh come on. Like, uh, <laughs> but I do like your point about. I was thinking of it maybe of the flavor of 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 the base ingredients there, right? But actually, to your point. Cognac maybe does a better job or has more influence from oak. And I want us to get into cognac categories in a second too, but so that makes sense why you would want those incredibly aromatic bitters, but also the sweetness and the the nuttiness from a Norgette. Like I think that really does lean into cognac's profile. So it's maybe like seasoning cognac with these things rather than... Seasoning is yeah, a great th- word for there it. There we go. All yeah. right. Rather than matching to compatible flavor profiles. Right. I do also think, how do you feel like Calvados and other, you know, orchard fruit brandies can be very energetic, but maybe not feel as kind of burly as some cognacs can right. be too. And I figure you need that probably for the, the wrestling components here.
1: I mean, I would say the hipster pick for to remake the Japanese cocktail will be an Armagnac because it's going to have that, yeah, like, yeah. rustic, <laughs> a little bit more woody, a little bit more assertive uh, note. Um, but honestly, I make it a lot with, like, American brandies as well just because I think— like similar to wines they're going to be a little bit more like fruit forward a little bit more like playful and yeah. so like again with ingredients they're like they play better mm-hmm. uh, because you don't have to be as gentle to like get the nuances
0: out an american oak i would imagine too is a, is a real good candidate in yeah, this versus like french oak you got to love some coconut that. you know yeah exactly a ton of vanilla too it just like works for this age statements for this because obviously whenever you're thinking about which cognac you're going to use in a bar program you want quality but you want something that's like you said you know going to be well priced and all, and and available year round so if you put this drink on the menu right it's there where is the sweet spot for this? Is it like a VS, a VSOP, or do you want to – where would you go for, for for a program versus then just like a one-off version of the drink?
1: I think you had to go VSOP, uh, especially because you want that oak, you want the vanilla, you want the duons. I mean, fruit's great. I love fruit. I love mm-hmm. wine. But uh, you want a little bit more uh, structure and tannins that are going to lengthen that out, especially if you have something that's going to sit heavy and sweet on your palate like Orjat. So, uh, VSOP, uh, or if you're selling cocktails for $40, just go XO, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the,
1: uh, if you go, going back to your uh, Calvados, but like there are some really lovely XO Calvadoses, which are just vibrant, well rounded, and that would be like a phenomenal Japanese cocktail, especially if you, like make a walnut or jot or something like that where you have a little bit more tannin, a little bit more like bitterness in that. Then you can
0: tone down on the bitters. That'd be cool. Well, let's let's head into Orgeat now and, oh, and, man. and tell me about your preference when it comes to your bar programs. Is this something you want to be making or not realistic? And if not, what are some of the examples of Orgeat and brands that you might be like? This is the one that I want to use for this cocktail.
1: Uh, great. So I would love to make Orgeat constantly, unless we have it in a cocktail. Then we're we just have store bought. Um, we uh, use Giffard's, uh, which I very much like. Uh, I think it goes better in tiki cocktails, uh, or like shaken than the, uh, the Japanese cocktail. I think if you wanted to put like a Japanese cocktail on the menu, I would highly suggest making your own shot because you're able to kind of like curate that flavor a little bit more and it's going to probably be less sweet, uh, depending on your sugar ratio. I don't know. Maybe you have a sweet tooth and you're really just pouring it in. <laughs> um, but I would say when we do house make like a, uh, a cocktail on the menu will make the, our orgeat, but it's time consuming. And so just to like have orgeat on the side in case somebody, and also like the shelf life of it can be a little inconsistent. And there's nothing like a worse than just like the orgeat once it's turned. It's yeah. Not, yeah. Not, a, not a great texture.
0: <laughs> Especially if you're, you know, responsible for the bottom line of your program, right? And <laughs> exactly. You, you see that and you're like, we made all of this. <laughs> Nuts are not cheap, folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> for this, all right, I want to, Give you a hypothetical scenario oh, that yeah. you've mentioned here. So you're using store bought because um, maybe maybe you do have this drink on the menu, but you're using store bought for many different reasons, right? Uh, say it's giffard. Say it is does tend towards the sweeter end of the spectrum. You want to use it in this drink, but you don't want the drink to go too sweet. If a teaspoon or a bar spoon is not giving you enough, is giving you the sweetness you want, but maybe not the influence of orgeat. How can you navigate that? Can you can you kind of like adjust? Like, you know how people are acid-adjusting citrus. Right. Like, is there a way where you, you can maybe adjust the bricks of your orgeat without also like weakening its flavor?
1: I think that's definitely a John question.
0: That's a John <laughs> question. <laughs> that um, does seem like something John yeah. Adler might have like a PhD written on already. God bless um,
1: him. I got to say, I, uh, I don't have an answer for you on mm-hmm. that one. Um, that is a good question. I guess you could just use gum. Uh, like gum arabic and just like tighten that up I don't particularly like working with gum arabic all that much um, it's always eluded me how people make it l- with not a texture that is uh, I don't want to really describe yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, texture yeah. of it but uh, I guess in that situation I think the if you are just if you don't have uh, the ability to adjust the bricks on that uh, on the fly I think the key again is the lemon peel because that citrus note that pop is gonna balance out the sweetness. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, the biggest mistake you could probably make is just go heavy. On, like I got this orangeade is too sweet. I'm gonna go heavy on the bitters, and then all of a sudden you just have like a sweet bitter cocktail, and then you've lost the point of it, which is the cognac, yeah, or the brandy. That being said, if you have like Laird's, uh, which you know, again, fucking American as hell, uh, you, you can put anything you want in there, man, and you're still <laughs> you're still gonna have layered. So nice. Uh,
0: that's uh. It works. So, that lemon technique, then, a couple lemon peels, is that, are we aiming for the same kind of um, type of peel as I'm getting for my, uh, like, say, a twist for a martini, whereby, you know, I want some pith on there, but not too much? Or do we maybe want a little bit more of that to, again, bring a little bit more complexity to this?
1: I, last night, we just did uh, peels. Mm-hmm. We did two peels. Um, I was told that, like, channel knife is the way to go. I cannot speak to that. Though uh, it makes sense. I think you a little bit of pith, not too much pith, obviously you're going to get like the, the bitter of a pith uh, adds some bitterness, but it can also be quite like astringent on the back. Uh, yeah. So just like quick peel. I mean, you're only stirring for like 8 to 15 seconds, so like it don't let it sit <laughs> yeah. and you should be okay. Uh, but it does add a lot of vibrancy.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that this technique was on the original... Uh, recipe there because oftentimes you find it with a lot of these classics like bartenders have had to change the spec based on what's available to them these days but also that would feel like a very modern technique Jerry Thomas just spinning in his grave right now mm-hmm. just being like what the fuck do you know but it feels like a modern technique right
1: well I mean so if you look at the recipe it just says I mean it doesn't really like tell you the technique you're just like all right or shot Bogart spitters. Wine glass of brandy, which again is like amazing because I don't know what your wine glass is, but mine's not two ounces. <laughs> uh, and then one or two pieces of lemon peel. So, like, you mm-hmm. could easily read that and say that's your garnish. You're just expressing the lemon peel on top, which is like the natural assumption of a bartender. Uh, like, if you read a Manhattan recipe and it said orange twist, you'd be like, all right, cool, orange twist. But it is putting it in there that really adds that extra dimension. And again, if you put like an orange twist in an old fashioned, which you should do because uh, it's good and enjoyable for everyone involved, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then like the whiskey is going to be big enough to kind of absorb that. But uh, with the cognac, which is going to be like a little more gentle, that is going to have a lot more of a play than just if you put it into like rye and then rye would be complimented. But still, obviously, as we talked about before, rye is rye.
0: Yeah. All right, final component then, bitters for this drink. So you mentioned a couple there, but question for you. You said you want something that's more baking spice. I was just of the assumption that Angostura would be the one that's like the maximum on that level. Is that that not the case?
1: I think yes. I mean, no, actually, I don't know why I said yes. I was just agreeing with you because you have like these beautiful eyes and you (laughs) staring at me. Um, No, I think that Angostura does obviously have a lot of baking spice, but it also is very bitter. Yes. Uh, and so, like, if you have, like, the other two brands that I mentioned, they're slightly less bitter, and so I think that the bacon spice kind of, like, stands out a little bit more. The original recipe uh, calls for the Bogart bitters, which, uh, according to the internet and everyone I've ever talked to who, like, goes on about bitters, you know, like, the greatest people. Um, so uh, it's actually uh, Boker's bitters, which are uh, originally very cardamom heavy, so they have, like, a greenish note to it, which uh, I think w- works well with the cognac. So if you wanted to get freaky, man, like just do a little uh, fees cardamom and a little bit of Angostura blended together. Mm-hmm. Just uh, create your own recipe. That's the best thing about cocktails. You do what you want. And then as long as it's balanced and it's good, then people are happy most of the time.
0: I'm surprised just sitting here and you chat about that. I'm surprised that no one these days has come up with a brand that's like, these are your old-fashioned bitters. These are your Sazerac bitters. These are so and so. I mean, you really kind of dial in the use case scenario there. But I do also feel like maybe there's a there's a gap in the market for that there, right? All right. What are you doing later? Let's uh, <laughs> write up a business plan. Yeah, let's do it. We'll come up with our own. This came up recently too, like own blends of uh, bitters. We were chatting through it in the lens of like orange and I think PDT you mentioned earlier. I think they used to uh, make yeah. their own blend.
1: Um, what others? Uh, yeah, they did uh, the Regans and another one that yep. was like, which is so cool uh, that like I don't I think we got away from it as an industry, but like just like I'm gonna make 40 different blends of bitters and make it the same cocktail over. I mean, I guess I, I do that too when I'm making a cocktail. I'm like,
0: yeah, that's true. But yeah, just kind of having that there pre-batched. Also, I don't know how legal this is, but I know many <laughs> bars will do like marrying different bottles right to have you know like maybe this is our this is our old fashioned blend whiskey or whatever i know that it's a complete no no with our friends uh, uh, north of the border there in canada you can't even marry like two half bottles of the same spirit up there without you know, running risk.
1: Brother, I'm in DC. It's the Wild West. We can ah, do whatever DC. we want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just shipping spirits out to people. Oh, You're doing whatever you want, yeah.
1: I, uh, I have so many vintage, like, Amari that, like, I don't even have to hide. I'm just like, cool, yeah. You, you put a bottle on my, like, bar, I can sell it to you back. It's crazy. I don't know why we do it that way. But I'm happy about it. We shouldn't change it. We should be a state, but we shouldn't change that portion of it. All of, of these it. things, yeah. Exactly.
0: No, it's it, it really is wonderful. Um any final thoughts or, or can you talk us through then, again, your, just your preparation from start to finish with some specs there? And yeah, I'm going to ask you to call out some some ideal candidates to here, settle upon some of those.
1: All right. Allow me one moment, please. I prepared for this. <laughs> yeah. So what we, first off, the traditional cognac version of it, I'll go your Rami 1738, which everyone has high end, very nice, uh, maybe not super cost effective. If that's not the case, go for like Pierre Ferrand 1840. Which is going to be higher in proof? So you're at, like that's they designed it for more cocktail focused yep. things. Again, with the Remy, I think that like it's all about preserving the integrity of the spirit. With the Pierre Ferrand, you're able to like kind of work a little bit more uh, with the tools that you have. If you're going to go for Calvados, Christian Drouhin XO, like I said, like that is a phenomenal Calvados, uh, and as long as you're treating it with the respect, uh, you're able to kind of like highlight that like orchard note, that little vanilla note, and it's very fun. Uh, American, uh, I'm hopefully pronouncing this correctly, Berto uh, came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, Berto's
0: great. Another, uh, German Robins, another one too, Love. which I think may have rebranded recently, but... Uh,
1: I also St. George makes a uh, oh, apple yeah. uh, that is
0: fun as hell. So yeah, American brandy, all is well on mm-hmm. that front.
1: Or, I mean, obviously, again, the hipster pick would be like Labad from Armagnac, which know. is, you know... I, I got to keep my like uh, my jeans and single uh, speed bike like cred in there. Yeah, Do you, yeah. You want to yeah. talk don't, about Interpol for like twenty minutes?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny that the the Armagnac has become the hipster spirit, given that I I you know I was rewatching Sopranos recently, and there's that great one where Artie Bucco like gets you know scammed by that French guy. <laughs> I forget what his name is, and he's like, oh, it's going to be the next vodka. <laughs> Everything's the next vodka, nothing is, and that hasn't happened yet. So sorry. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been waiting for Sherry to be the next mezcal for like a half a decade. <laughs> yeah. So like, I guess hey,
1: <laughs> 2024, it's coming.
0: Mezcal needs to happen in the mainstream first. That's all I'll say. You know, I just will, look at the. Actually,
1: I would say that it's there, um, and I say that very small, select uh, size, but like the number one selling cocktail at my restaurant, no matter which menu we do, uh, we. we just Wrapping up one menu. We're about to do a new one at Bresca on 14th and U Street in Washington DC. Please come visit us um, mm-hmm. Is like it's always a mezcal cocktail People will just order, and then the funny thing is like I'll buy these like really lovely like Single growers say mezcals. No one fucking orders them. They just sit in my back bar and then like I give them my friends mm-hmm. uh, but like if I put see <laughs> Mysterio's in a cocktail it's just going to churn. People like see mezcal and they're like, I want that. And like, I, I don't do like spicy margaritas with mezcal. We're talking about like, uh, what do we got coming up on there? Um, actually, it's kind of, it's, a, it's like a Michelada riff, uh, but it's very delicious. Uh, you get come, come to DC. Man. I need to come back to DC. Like, it's yeah. been too long. So anyway, that's my take on mezcal. Is yeah. that like
0: no? And again, like you're you're, you're very much true. I think uh, another friend of the show, Harrison Snow down there, at Lullaby says that you know their mezcal drink is literally called the mezcal drink. I think it's I think it's a top two or three selling cocktail on their menu, and yeah, that's maybe a different audience than the one I'm speaking about. Somewhat of a captive audience, right? But yeah, definitely among people that like cocktails, mezcal has broken right. through to your point, most people aren't sipping it neat. Uh, and also like, yeah, what was it earlier this year or last year? Like tequila overtook American whiskey as the second best selling spirit in the US, but it was actually tequila and mezcal. But everyone just kind of ignored the fact <laughs> that mezcal was in there too, because tequila was doing all of the heavy lifting. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, But yeah, um, Sherry's never going to happen. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's true I mean like look you know for for us to have any marked impact on the sherry industry and the fortunes of that too I mean we gotta be starting to use it more than half an ounce or an ounce at a time you know what uh, I mean but I do love sherry as well as a drinker
1: no I mean I think it's very much a uh, like it's, it's an acquired taste mm-hmm. uh, and like let's be honest it will never happen but it has um, I do love putting it in wine pairings kind of like sneaking it in there I love drinking it I love it in cocktails I think it is one of my favorite ingredients as like a modifier uh, in a cocktail is a great lengthener. Like an amateado can just do so much to round out a beverage. Mm -hmm. Actually honestly, I've never tried this, but if you want to put like a quarter of amateado in your Japanese cocktail, that might add some like dryness that like will balance out the orzat. You guys, that's for free. You can keep that.
0: That's <laughs> um, putting that in my back pocket right now. <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, yeah. If you want to be really pretentious, go to a bar and then tell him how you want your Japanese cocktail <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. be made. I'll go for that a Japanese
0: <laughs> cocktail. Hey, please, but can you just give me like a little quarter ransom some of Yeah, other you way. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We ran an article about this salario? recently yeah. on uh, on VinePair, but it was called like flex cocktail orders, and the drinks we ordered to kind of you know portray. Something about ourselves.
1: The bar it, spoon tattoo doesn't like give it away. I
0: really. <laughs> that's a flex right there. I think the other one, too, though, is having your spec or calling out a cocktail. But something that came up in that, and we really are off track here, but <laughs> I want to mention is like the ultimate anti flex when you're at a bar is like with someone and ordering a drink to maybe impress them. You're like, oh, I'm going for a corpse revival number one. The bar doesn't know how to make it, so then you have to explain, and then they make it badly, and then it's just embarrassing for everyone all around. So know your bar, know where you were at. I tell you where we were at was we were at two ounces of base spirit, and you get we haven't wonderful... gotten
1: past that. We didn't get past oh, that wow, yet. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: So two ounces of base spirit, two ounces of base spirit, and that's spirit. going into the mixing glass first, or you're building in a glass here.
1: I uh, no, I would do. I uh, build in uh, the mixing glass, uh, mm-hmm. and lemon before that, or so uh, I would do. Orgeat first. We would do, depending on uh, your, uh, no. Weight. Consistency? I lied to you. Yes, you're doing your base spirit first. Uh, then you're going to do the orgeat. Uh, I would steer away from that half an ounce. That's a lot of orgeat. So I would go your quarter. If it's uh, a sweeter brandy, then maybe drop that back to like a, a bar spoon of that. Do that on top. Then hit it with the bitters. Then add the ice. Then kind of like slide the lemon peels on the side So that you're stirring them, but again, you don't want to, like, overpower everything. Again, the idea of constructing a cocktail is to make sure that, like, that cognac or Armagnac or Calvados or American Mm -hmm. brandy uh, is, like, the star of the show. Um, What's a good movie example of that? Where it's, like, a a character study— and I don't have a good example. I talk, I mentioned like 12 movies to you yesterday, and then now I'm like, oh, movie movie's wow. a film.
0: American uh, Psycho, no. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, That one came up, but I think that was because you based the soundtrack on that. But no, uh, in terms of what do you mean like a character study here? Uh,
1: no, so like you want – it's one of those – oh, Tar uh, would be a good example. Like, Perfect. Like where she's in every scene, and she's amazing. But the movie is kind of built around showcasing this one person. And, like, that is, like, the study of it. So the other ingredients are there, and they need to be well-rounded. They need, like, it's very, very difficult to make a good cocktail with bad ingredients. Uh, But, like, they're there in service of showcasing your spirit, Mm -hmm. which is brandy, which Uh, is amazing. Drink more brandy.
0: I think there's a great point, too, when, you know— you can have a balanced cocktail, but that doesn't mean that every single one of the ingredients are hitting on the same volume or whatever. Like, right. Right. At that same level. It's like, no, you have a little seasoning of this here and that there. But really, the brandy is the star of the show in this case.
1: Yeah. like Yesterday, and I don't want to get us off track again, because, uh, but like you were talking about a Negroni. Uh, and then like an equal parts Negroni is like the Campari is kind of like that is going to be showcased. But like a good gin in there is going to have a higher proof because that's going to be the backbone and it's going to be like a flavoring of it. So like you don't want to do something limp because then your Negroni is going to be unbalanced, even if it is equal parts. But like so same with this cocktail, like you don't want the Orgeat to be overpowering. You want to make sure that it is there to add a a little bit of weight because it is going to sit heavy on the palate, but also to be integrated to like. Highlight again those fruit notes, those vanilla notes, those chocolate notes, coffee notes. If you're drinking like something more rustic,
0: Mm -hmm. and then bitters. uh, What quantity and which one are you settling up on?
1: Um, We're gonna go with Bitter Truth Aromatic Bitters, and I would do about two dashes. Two dashes. Again, the uh, the danger of this cocktail is going heavy on either the orgeat or the bitters. Like you go too heavy on the bitters, you're essentially drinking like bitter, nutty bitters. You go uh, too heavy on the orgeat, you're drinking like a little sweet cocktail.
0: Nice. Old-fashioned glass, large rock. Nick and Nora. Nick and Nora. Ooh,
1: Nick and Nora. I like it's. Ooh, ooh. I
0: like that No, Just, just, just curious because I'm like, I, I think I was just in like old-fashioned mode, but.
1: Uh, I think this is the danger. There is going to be over dilution. Yep. Uh, so, like, again, you, cognac, especially if you're doing like an 80 proof cognac, if you're putting that on ice and you're not drinking it in like five minutes, or if it's sitting in your service well for two minutes, like. You're going to get over dilution very quickly, but a uh, chilled Nick and Nora, nice, perfectly temperature, uh, going actually, fuck it. If you wanted to pre-batch this, just pour out of the freezer. There you go. Done. Love it. Nice.
0: Garnish? Lemon twist. Lemon twist. Bringing back the lemon twist. Yeah. You're bringing it back. Yeah, in the, you, l- not the discarded. same one that's in the, uh, <laughs> no, steering yeah. vessel, but like yeah, another yeah, yeah, yeah. one. You just like bring out that pop. Lovely stuff. Listen, Will. Any final thoughts on the Japanese cocktail today before we move into our weekly questions? Oh my god! Uh, no, I think
1: we covered it, right?
0: Do yeah. we have anything else about it? I think we've, I, yeah, we've covered
1: every single. I, this is probably the it. most anyone's talked about the Japanese cocktail ever. <laughs> <I've never> really... <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably right. Like, I mean, and apart from, and I don't know whether it is in the Oxford Companion, but apart from maybe when they were figuring out the the, the entry for that right. one, right? Like. Otherwise, yeah.
1: This is like longer than the Wikipedia article.
0: <laughs> I can guarantee that almost certainly nowhere else in the world right now are two people in a room just <laughs> just going deep on the Japanese cocktail, which is which is what we love about cocktails and drinks, and that's what we're all about here on the show. All right, let's go some questions. Let's go some questions. Starting with number one, Will, what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bars?
1: Well, uh, I have two. Kind of. Uh, We'll focus on Bresca. Um, I want it to be brandy. I try so hard for it to be brandy. Um, But it's whiskey. And that's just because it's market. Like, that's what people want. Mm -hmm. Um, We probably operate about, like, 70 to 75% of our uh, spirit sales are going to be cocktails. Um, We just uh, very—we're honored to be, like, long-listed for uh, best uh, restaurant Bar by Tails. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we were the first DC Michelin cocktail experience winner. Uh, we're a restaurant, obviously. Um, no, no, if you knew that. Uh, but most of our stuff is cocktails, but on the back bar, it's going to be primarily uh, whiskey. And then I think the reason for that is that, I mean, an Isla drinker isn't an Island drinker, isn't a bourbon drinker, isn't a rye drinker. So you got to make sure that you have yeah. a selection for Such each person. Such a broad category. Exactly.
0: Uh, do you find, just curious to find many people sipping, uh, we said know about mezcal, but tequila these days? Or is that still very much like a cocktail ingredient for most of the sales?
1: We have more of it, actually, which is very cool. We picked up uh, a couple of, like, high-end tequilas. I've been moving considerably more. Sierto uh, just came out and fucking love it. Um, and then Mahenta is this a phenomenal, we put that in cocktails, but also, like, the Repo. Uh, I'll sell that to anybody repo is my personal favorite nice. uh, tequila category because it's just it has like such an identity crisis that like that uh Con- like an internal conflict between the agave and the wood is I find very fascinating and mm-hmm. enjoyable.
0: And so, for for personally, the conflict is always like, how am I drinking this? Am I am I sipping it neat, or oftentimes I feel like highball in summer, just some soda. Um, it, that's it. Brings out all the wonderful characteristics. Like that's cool. Highballs are just great in general. Or
1: yeah. I mean, tonic water, which I know is not healthy for you, but like a vermouth and tonic, holy. Merry yeah. Mother God! I should probably do that this afternoon.
0: One of the only Brits in the world that hates tonic water. Oh, Sorry, really? guys. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. Cannot stand it. All right, uh, cool. So never enjoyed a GNT. But well, you know, I'm open to it. Who knows? Question number two here: Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Uh,
1: hospitality, um, I think, is the best one.
0: Uh, just in general, like
1: you can make the best cocktail in the world, but if you're a prick, uh, then the person's not going to like it. Uh, and if you ever want to see like the power of hospitality, make someone a bad cocktail, but make them feel like the most important person in the world and they're going to love it. Uh, don't make bad cocktails. I'm not advocating that, but, um, just making sure that like just the, the space they're in, even down to like the chair, are they comfortably there? Is the music too loud? Is it like, is it a good vibe? People go back to bars because they make them feel good. I mean, you remember the pandemic? We spent hours like me as in my company. Like, are we going to design bars this way? Is like our bars done? Are people even going to sit at bars anymore? And then the first thing that happened, as soon as like, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying the pandemic's over, maybe cut my takes on the pandemic.
0: But <laughs> as, as, as we see the pandemic start to appear in our rear mirror,
1: exactly the first thing we all were like, <laughs> back to bars. Like, yeah. bars are good. We like them. We've perfected this. And we're just, that's what people want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think just making sure that it's a welcome, and then also on the hospitality note, curating your hospitality to your guest or to your space. Uh, One of our restaurants is a two-star Michelin, and, like, the hospitality we give there is not the same as the Mm -hmm. one-star. And if I go to a dive bar and they're treating me like I'm in a two-star Michelin restaurant, I'll be like, what the fuck? Uh, Like, that's not what I came here for. So making sure that, like, you're treating your guest the way that your guest wants to be treated. And I think a lot of times we as bartenders think that We're like chefs. We think if we put it in the glass and it's good, then that's all that matters. And they're just going to like it. Uh, But it's not true. You want something more.
0: Couldn't agree more. And, Will, you won't be privy to this because it's actually publishing this week as we record this. But we've done a deep dive. Uh, on this very topic recently with friend of the show, Jill Cox in there and just getting into everything you're talking about there so that hasn't aired as we're recording this now sorry to go behind the curtain or whatever for the listeners but I did also want to point that out because some folks listening might be hearing that now and being like yeah they just Dude, they just covered that in last week's episode, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> which is not the case at all. But yeah, if folks do want to check that out, uh, listen to that, head over there. It's a nice wonderful plug. conversation. That was, yeah. I,
1: I didn't even set you up for that. No, you, no, just, I just plug myself. Here. There we go. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, then, Will, question number three, halfway there. Uh, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry?
1: It's actually, uh, I, you gave me the questions ahead of time, so I put some thought into them. Uh, it was actually given by a server, uh, and I was working in New Orleans which is a fun town to work, uh, and it's a fun town to be in. Did his best to kill me. Uh, But we did a a safety meeting behind the bar, and his server was like, that's fucking crazy you're doing that. And I'm like, that's so part of, like, bartender culture. Uh, And then I was like, why? She's like, there's no other profession in the world. I might actually want to edit this out because I don't want to sound like a prude. But uh, it's like there's no other – like you don't – Take shots at three o'clock in the Vine Pair office. I don't. Do you?
0: No. Yeah. Uh, So like, there's four p.m. No. 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 Absolutely not. It's a professional affair over here. But yeah.
1: Right. One of the benefits, beauties of being a bartender is that like you can be an actor and you can bartend and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a perfectly good way. It's a great way of honest work to support your hobbies. I know lots of bartenders who are artists, uh, and like that was just the way they paid their bills until their art took off. Uh, But if you are someone like me or you're someone who's I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you really are a bartender or in hospitality, like treating it as a profession with like the respect it deserves. I'm not saying like, I mean, obviously, I left a collab and then I went to a bar and I drank until a reasonable hour. Yeah. Uh, professionally.
0: But you're also in town for a short amount of time. And really? like you d- you didn't do that on the Saturday night, the night before the event. You know what I mean? It's exactly. Like finding that balance no, there. I, but yeah.
1: I stayed up until like one o'clock in the morning making spheres. Uh, <laughs> uh, so just most of the success that I've had in my career has happened in the last half decade. And I think a large part of it is just uh, treating it professionally and mm-hmm. treating it as like someone who's like organized. Like to show up to an event, to have a punch list, to make yourself like to people wanna work with someone who knows what they're doing and then they can trust will execute. Uh, and like that doesn't mean you can't be fun or like an enjoyable person to be around. Some people might not think that I'm that, but um I uh, just I think professionalism is no. the tool for success.
0: And also, you can be you can be a fun person without being like, yeah, I'm taking a shot at five p.m. or whatever. You right. know what I mean? Or like, honestly, know, so, if
1: you have to take a shot to be fun, then there's
0: <laughs> that's when you got to start looking at yourself. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's that's a great point. And just that whole question. Do you actually, have like a little cheeky because that would be like really nice right now. <laughs> got the 1738 and, out back There we go. No, yeah, and again, just profession versus vocation. You know, what is this? Right. What is this industry? And I think. The, the, the more we treat it as a profession, the, the only good things can come of that. Right. So
1: yeah. I mean, like a rising tide uh, raises all ships. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you, you, you've seen that in New York, like, one, this is one of the best bartender cities in the world. I'm from D.C. We're conditioned to think you guys are overrated. But, like, and honestly, <laughs> like, it's because people took something and they were like, this can be very good. And then we're going to work towards making it better. We're going to be more Discipline, we're going to be more accurate, we're going to improve our technique, we're going to improve the quality of our ingredients. Uh, this isn't a plug, but I was just at Little Red Door, I guess this is actually technically a plug, and they were talking about it's like chefs use like, will fly in fish from Japan. Like, why can't bartenders be like, we're going to go get the best ingredient and then we're going to put that in the glass and then we're going to give it to you? And it's that attention to detail, I think, goes back to the profession. That's a more fun version of professionalism. Where it's just like, how can we elevate what we're doing? If you're doing, I I had somebody tell me once, like, if you're doing the same thing a year after you started doing it, then you need to look at that and be like, how can I make it better? Um, Unless, if that's what you want to do. Otherwise, if you're like, again, a carpenter, and I don't know, a carpenter, but like a sculptor, Mm -hmm. uh, then I don't know, that's good too. Yeah, I'm not good
0: at art, so I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. But I hear what you're saying right there. Thank all you.
1: Right. I, I definitely petered out of the end there, so like, let's, <laughs> question number four, let's go.
0: Question number four. All right, you asked for it. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be?
1: Um, I don't know. That's, uh, I think, and here, this is my question for you. Am I dying? Like, why is this the last bar? Like, because if it's like, if it is, like, if I'm dying, uh, I don't know in this particular scenario why I am dying. Um, but it would be, like, wherever my family is, I'd like to be that bar. I've been to a lot of really amazing bars uh, in my life, Uh, but I think like the one like service bar would. It's such a weird answer, but like I love them. Like they're my good friends. They're like talk about like hospitality. Like I, like they make me feel good. So I would go there, uh, and just have a a Negroni and a beer, and uh, and then I guess I would. Die afterwards.
0: You might not. I mean, the the question's open to interpretation. The other the other way you could view it is like, look, I'm only allowed to visit one bar for the rest of my life. Which one would it be? You know, like so you can keep going there, and you know, no one's killing you. Oh, that's cool. But like, I,
1: so slightly, I took it in more of a morbid way than I needed to. Most <laughs> folks tend to. All right, cool. and don't wait ask to,
0: for clarification. Wait to question five because yeah. it's going to get real dark real quick. All right, but you're sticking with service bar there.
1: Uh, service bar, Washington D.C. Uh, I think would be my go-to nice. there.
0: Nice. All right, then final question for you today: If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, <laughs> what would you order or make? All right, so.
1: We we're gonna go dark here. So a either I'm dying or b I'm not drinking anymore. Yeah. Uh, those I guess those are the two things. Either way, and I, and obviously I love champagne. So I'm like that's an easy answer. I'd like yeah like some Krug that would be fantastic. Or you know like a really love any of the menu brandies. Like give me a nice Remy Seventeen Thirty. Yeah, give me like the Christian Drouhin XO. However, that's not a fun answer. That's like a very boring answer. Uh, so I thought about it. And I guess I was thinking about cultural appropriation because I'm talking about a cocktail named the Japanese cocktail that has nothing to do with Japan. Mm -hmm. But uh, in samurai culture, they had like the seppuku where like you kill yourself. Um, Morbid, I know. But like they like – the last thing you do is like you cut open your stomach to feel pain. So I would like four fingers of like warm gin. That would be like – I'm going to go out just really feeling it. So either if I'm, like, not going to drink anymore, I'm like, ah, that's probably a good idea because I just drank four ounces of, like, four yep. fingers of uh, warm gin. And if I'm dying, then, like, nothing summarizes the pain of existential existence than just, like, warm gin. If you want to weird out a of bartender, like a bartender flex, go to a bar and order, like, Plymouth Neat, which is delicious, and I've done it. But they're going to look at you like you just walked out of a spaceship. They're going to, like, not— understand what's going on yeah do, do you want to do this one again that no one? no
0: no i love i love what you're saying here because a i love that you've taken a very different approach to this question but i we love it two though i was just doing this recently for for our spirits reviews and roundups here at vine pair and um is this just,
1: is this VinePair? pair this is oh, i showed up at the right place
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you waited a little while to get there but um <laughs>
1: Yeah, we were doing the gin roundup. For the record, I was on time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I just meant to realize that that's where we were. But anyway... Uh, started to see some new bottles, right? Coming out of uh, the, the first one, I had tasted my first ever South Korean gin, right? Yeah, uh, which was amazing. Or there is also some uh, two from Mexico that are distilled using spent agave plants that were used to create um, mezcal.
1: That's lit. Then,
0: yeah, it's amazing. So they're adding yeast again, and you know, propagating that there's enough sugar still remains. So they make the base wine, right, and then distill it. Phenomenal. One definitely just does taste like mezcal. The other is like a little bit lighter. But between the three of them, we're talking 80 to to $100, you know, the the price range uh, each, not in total. So my question is this. That becomes a very tough sell where you're like, yeah, you can use this for cocktails, like anything other than sipping it neat. Right. I would argue that all of those ones you could sip neat. But to your point, like, yeah, if you want to freak out someone, just be like, what are you drinking over there? Yeah, just neat gin. Yeah. You sure? (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, might put some people off.
1: There was a, I was in love with a girl when I was uh, going to college, and she would just drink gin out of a flask, which again was very problematic uh, looking back on it. But at the time, I was like, God, just like taking swigs of warm gin between camel lights. I was like, damn, this girl's got it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Perceptions change. People can hate tonic. People can like tonic again. People suddenly realize that maybe swigging gin from a flask is, yeah, not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Will, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for reminding me, you know, that I'm well overdue. A trip to D.C. as well. Like, just want to say shout out. I that, love that community down there and the bars and everything you guys have. Definitely New York doesn't pay enough attention to D.C., nor does a lot of the rest of the country. So, um. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah,
1: DC Rising, come down. We have, we're we doing very cool stuff. Uh, can I just shout out people in DC? Yeah, do it, please. Oh, amazing. All right, I already mentioned Service Bar. They're great. Deke at Allegory, he's doing yeah. very, very cool stuff. Um, and just his entire team is, like, stacked. It's, like, unfair. Uh, Silver Lion, obviously. I Actually, I, damn, I didn't call out a lot of people. But, all right, here's the truth. The Raven in Mount Pleasant, one of the best, like, People don't go to DC for dive bars. The Raven, phenomenal dive bar. I've lived in Chicago. I lived in New Orleans. I come to New York all the time. I love a good dive bar. Actually, there's a really good one in Paris that I just went to, which is again Humble Flex. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but...
0: That's why most people go to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. Visit their dive bars. Uh, yeah, great people, man. Thank you. Well, Will, thanks again for joining us. Um, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Malin, editor-in-chief Joanna Sharino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo